All right, everybody, good morning. Go ahead and uh, make your way back to your seat there. Morning, it's great to see you today. If you don't know me, my name is Steve, or if you're just sitting back there thinking, that guy looks faintly familiar. Uh, I've been away on a uh, summer study break. Our elders allow me that privilege every year for a month, and uh, it's a great time. It's always refreshing. This year I got to spend a lot of time with my wife, and we did a lot of traveling and enjoyed that, but we're glad to be back, and uh, it's great to be here with you today. Thanks to technology, I have not missed any of the sermons from this series. I've been listening to the podcast when I haven't been here, and uh, I've been truly blessed and challenged to see myself more as one of Christ's ambassadors and fishers of men um, over the last several weeks as these great men have been sharing with us. Take the little study guide out of your worship folder. It's, it's full of truth. It's meaty. It's packed. The off chance that I have something worthwhile to say, maybe there's some space for you to take some notes there. So we're talking about evangelism, we're talking about being a witness in this series, and I don't know about you, but I don't believe that I have the gift of evangelism. There's a percentage of, belie- of believers who've been given that gift, and God bless you, we love you. I-, I don't think I have that, but I do love to share Jesus with people whenever God opens the door. And one thing I've been learning the last few years is to leave the results up to God, to just leave that in His hands. It's not really our work to convert anybody, is it? I mean, that's God's work. Our work is to live our lives in such a way that God looks great. Our work is to to love people with Christ's love, to pray for open doors to share with them, to present the gospel to them, to urge them to believe it, but to leave their response, their actual response, up to them and up to God. Conversion is God's work. Like Paul said, I planted the seed of the gospel. Apollos came along later and watered it, but it is God who makes things grow. And that's what I believe. But when it comes to this call of God to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, I have developed a conviction through the years, really an observation that I have been making over the last decade or so. And here it is. You are already an evangelist. You are, you are already an evangelist. I believe that. Now, You're probably not an evangelist in the sense of like Billy Graham, you know. Very few people are gifted to stand up in front of tens of thousands of people in an open-air stadium and bring out a Bible and preach God's truth to, to that many people. I'm not talking about that. But what I am saying is that you already believe that something is really good news and you're talking about it with people. There's something that has captivated your heart, something that you are passionate about, Something that's so important to you and so precious that you find every opportunity you can to to talk about it with people, to share it with them. You want them to feel like you feel about it because it's brought you so much joy. I'm convinced that everyone is already an evangelist for something. The question is, what? (laughs) What is it? What are you an evangelist for? I know some Pinterest evangelists, do you? They're an interesting bunch of folks. I know uh, Mac evangelists who are trying to convert everybody to Mac products, and and I am a convert. (laughs) There are Buckeye evangelists. There are oils evangelists. I mean, how can you live your life without rubbing oils all over yourself every day? I mean, (laughs) there's a question I like to ask people when I'm getting to know them. 
and uh, it's, it's this. Uh, I like to ask people, so what are you all about? And one, one day I was with a guy in Wendy's, and I was getting to know him, and we were talking. I said, so tell me, what, what, what are you all about? What are you into? You know what he said? Water. <laughs> I said, water? He said, water. Water? H2O. I'm into water. Everybody's into something. <laughs> Oils, water, sports teams, maybe a, a favorite restaurant of yours, Milestone 229, or a vacation spot that you love, that you've been to. What I'm saying is that every single one of us, I believe, is already an evangelist for something, for that which is most precious to us. Do you, do you agree with me? People know it. People who live with you, your friends, they know what you're about. They know what you're an evangelist for. A few years ago, someone asked me what our evangelism strategy was now here at the church. They'd been around for a while. They knew kind of how we'd approach things in the past. Pastor Steve, what's our evangelism strategy at New Life? Here's here's what I said. I said, "That's that's a great question. Here's my strategy. Fill people up with the gospel so much that they leak. That's it. That's that's what I want to do is fill God's people up with Jesus so that he just kind of spills out and leaks out onto the people who are around you. I believe, in, in my experience, this is the absolute most effective way to be a witness. Pastor Brett has called this overflow evangelism. So that when they cut you, you bleed Jesus. When they poke you, you yell Jesus. When they squeeze you, Jesus comes out of you because you're filled up to the brim with Jesus. That, I believe, is the best kind of evangelism. Some of you are full of Jesus, and it shows. You know that. Like, I know I can't talk with Elena for more than a couple of minutes, and I'm going to hear about Jesus. I can't talk with James for more than a couple of minutes, and I'm going to hear about Jesus. Full of Jesus. Full of Jesus. Overflow evangelism, evangelism is what brought me to Christ. I got around some people who were full of Jesus. They were the real deal, and I knew it. They had something I didn't have, and I wanted it. I believe in overflow evangelism. So here's the question I want you to consider this morning. What are you full of? (laughs) Because whatever it is, it's seeping out. It's leaking out. This week, my wife, as she does every year, volunteered at the high school to uh, help the kids get registered for classes this week. And uh, she was telling me about one of the other volunteers that she was working alongside of there. She said, Steve, this one lady... She said, it's amazing. She just slips in little mentions about the Lord and little mentions about Jesus, just as part of her normal conversation. She'll say things like, well, well, such and such happened in my life, and it was such a God thing. Or, we were praying about something, and it happened, and we're just rejoicing that God answered our prayer. She said, it just pops out as part of this gal's normal conversation. I want to be more like that, my wife said. And I said, I do too. I do too. You know, Jesus himself once said, out of the abundance of the heart, out of the overflow of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. What you're full of is going to come out. You're going to talk about it. One of my life mottos that I've believed for over 20 years, something I tried to teach our kids as they were growing up when they were young, is is this. This is something you might want to write down in all that space on your, your outline. 
little motto. Input is everything. You remember the old commercial about Andre Agassi, uh, image is everything. This is a corollary. Input is everything. I, I really believe this. What you put in determines so much about you. One reason I try to listen to God's word and read it every day, and one reason I'm a sermon junkie and I listen to gospel sermons on my iPad all the time is because I want my heart to get filled up with good stuff. One reason I try to be selective in what movies I watch, one reason I try to be selective in what music I listen to is because I want my heart to be full of good stuff so that that's what comes out of me. Input is everything. And it's everything when it comes to evangelism as well, to this matter of witnessing. You know, when I'm not regularly filling up my heart with good stuff, when I'm missing my time in the morning with the Lord, my quiet time with God, when I come to church but I'm not really tuned in to the Lord and receiving His Word and worshiping Him, what I find is that there's plenty of other stuff that's ready to come in and fill up the vacuum of my heart. Good stuff even. Stuff that captures my heart and affections. And before I know it, I'm not really talking about Jesus much anymore. I'm talking about the bears or that car I'm looking at on Craigslist or leadership or church ministry stuff. Good stuff, but just not Jesus. Peter and John one time were ordered not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus Christ, Acts chapter 4. You know what they said? They said, you can outlaw that, but for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. You know, put us in jail, whatever, it doesn't matter. We're full of Jesus, and it's going to come out. We're going to be talking about the Lord. Count on it. And that's what I wish for all of us, that we'd be so full of Christ, so full of gospel truth, that when we cut you, you bleed Jesus. Here's my first point. First point of my sermon. May I come back? I've only got two points in this sermon. I go on a study break, come back, give a two-point sermon? Seriously? (laughs) Here's the first one. The best witnessing, I believe this, the best witnessing overflows from a heart that's full of Jesus. I really believe that. I have a second point. For this one, we got to We've got to go up higher, okay? We've got to, we've got to be lifted up to a, a higher vantage point and see things from high, high up above. It's like my wife and I, we, we were at Niagara Falls last week. How many have been there? Amazing, amazing sights. And, you know, last time we were there, we had little kids. And when you're at Niagara Falls with little kids, you know, your attention's mostly on trying to keep them from leaping, taking a swan dive over the railing, you know, and keeping them from diving in. This time it was just her and I and we were able to really be captivated by the, the, the feast for the eyes that is there. But you know, to, to truly experience something, you've got to get the view for both from down on the ground and from up in the air, right? So we went down on this made of the mist, you've been on that, and, and it goes right into the falls and you know, you're just doused with all this water and you're looking up and it's just majestic to, I think they're 175 feet up these falls, it's amazing. But then there's also, we discover these helicopters that you can get into and go and circle around over the falls and get the view from high up above. Now, we didn't do that because we would have had to take a second mortgage out on our home, and we got two kids in college, so we'll do that later. 
But really, to truly, fully experience something, you've got to get that perspective too, right? And so this morning, I want us to go way up high into the heavenly chopper and get the vantage point from God's point of view when it comes to evangelism. You know, we're all humans, right? So we tend to see things from our perspective, right? From where we stand. And so even when it comes to God, we, we ask questions, and these are not bad, but we ask questions like, what is God up to in my life? And what is God doing in this situation in my life? And, and that's fine to ask those questions, but from time to time, I think it's healthy to be lifted up higher and ask the bigger question, what is God up to, period? What is God doing, period? You know, to really know somebody, you've got to learn what, what's in their heart, right? What's, what's inside their heart? And I don't know about you, I want to know the Lord. I want to know the Lord. I want to know what makes Him tick. I want to know what gets the Lord up in the morning. I want to know what, what drives God, what, what He's passionate about, what He's into. Lord, what are you after? What's your heart set on? That's a big question, isn't it? It's a big question, and it's got a big answer. The book of Ephesians is one of the most spiritually dense books in all of the Bible. There's more truth packed in there per square inch than perhaps anywhere else, and it's big truth. It's truth from way up high. It's truth from God's perspective looking down on things. You know, some things in the Bible were not intended to be simple. Some things in the Bible were meant to blow our minds so that we'd step back and go, whoa, (laughs) God must be big. Ephesians has a lot of that, and in chapter 3, verse 11 of Ephesians, Paul speaks of something that he calls God's eternal purpose. Chapter 3, verse 11, God's eternal purpose, that there's something simmering in the heart of God that drives God to do what he does, that gets him up in the morning, so to speak. In one sense, you could say that the Bible is the unfolding story of God working through history to fulfill this eternal purpose purpose that resides in his heart and always had. Wouldn't you like to know what that is? There's a phrase in Ephesians that you find often, and it reveals, I believe, the core of the eternal purpose of God. Listen, Ephesians 1 verse 5, he, God, predestined us for adoption as sons. That's why we're big fans of adoption, by the way. Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. That's an important phrase. Verse 12, same chapter. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, here it is, to the praise of His glory. Chapter 3, verse 21. To Him be, what? Glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Seems pretty clear to me from Ephesians that God's eternal purpose is to put His glory on display in the universe so that he might be praised. Is that what you get from that? That the purpose of his will is the praise of his glory. Now, we just got elevated way up high, didn't we? (laughs) 
we're up in that chopper, we're looking down on, on everything, and, and what we're told is that everything that exists, exists for the glory of God. And that's a view that is shocking to many people. From way up there, we see a God who is not man-centered, but is God-centered. We see a universe created to display His glory, not ours. Being way up here in the thin air, we get a stunningly God-centered perspective of the universe that everything exists to praise God for His glory. You say, what does that mean? That means to marvel at Him for the vast array of His attributes that are on display in the universe. That's a key theme of Ephesians, and yes, really the entire Bible. God is big. God is great. And God alone deserves our highest praise. You say, how big is God? Well, Psalm 33, 6 says this, By the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all of their starry host. Ever been out a ways, like out from the city on one of those nights that's clear and you're able to look up at the night sky and just see it all? Just kind of takes your breath away, doesn't it? The biggest star out there that we know of, there's bigger stars, but the biggest one we know of, has been called Canis Majoris. The big dog star. Canis Majoris. It's a big star. Now, we have our own star, don't we? In our solar system, we have our own personal star. We call it what? The sun. And to us, the sun is immense, is it not? It's huge. I mean, and, 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 and it's hot. <laughs> I mean, we don't want to get much closer than about 93 million miles, <laughs> lest we be incinerated. And, and we know that it's huge. One million Earths could fit inside the sun. That's a big star. But you know what? Over 7 billion suns could fit inside Canis Majoris. That's billion with a B. You can't even fathom that, can you? 7 billion suns to fill up this huge big dog star. But you know what else? That star is just one of 100 billion stars in our galaxy and our little Milky Way galaxy is just one of a hundred billion galaxies. And the Bible says that God just breathed all that out of his mouth. Another place says he holds it in the palm of his hand, like nothing. I'm telling you, God is big. He's huge. He's immense. He's awesome. God is the center of the universe, and He alone deserves our highest praise. This is a mind shift. Some people never get there. Some people think they're awesome. Like, oh, I'm awesome. It's like, no, you're not awesome. Some adjectives need to be reserved for God. You're okay, you're decent, but you're not awesome. God is awesome so infected with a man-centered view of the universe that people are content to make much of their favorite celebrities or their favorite athletes down here on the planet, get all excited about them while making very little of the one who holds the stars in his hand, the star-breathing, universe-creating God. Something is out of whack there. It's called sin. 
that enlarges us and reduces and minimizes God, minimizes God. That's why all people need an awakening by the Spirit. You know, the greatest joy comes from living a life that is devoted to making much of God. Did you know that? Not much of self. The joy is found in seeing things in proper relation, in proper perspective, and understand that God is big and my life is all about His glory, and He's made it such that our greatest joy is in His greatest glory. That's why Paul would write, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. God's pursuit of His glory and your pursuit of happiness and joy are the same pursuit. It's true. I agree with John Piper who contends that all people need what some have called a Copernican revolution of the soul. A radical reorientation of perspective that leads to the dawning realization that everything doesn't revolve around me, everything revolves around the sun, S-O-N. Everybody needs that. Have you been awakened to that yet? That everything that exists, including you, exists to make God look great because he is. So maybe you're asking, all right, how does that relate to us being witnesses for Christ? Good question, so I need you to follow me. God being all about his own glory prompted him to make things, to create things. Now, you need to understand, God was not lonely. Father, Son, and Spirit lived together in perfect harmony for millennia, honoring one another, loving one another, caring for one another. But God being about his own glory, that prompted him to create things that could reflect his glory and that could appreciate his glory and praise him for his glory, including human beings like us down here on our little pinhead planet. And then that same eternal purpose in God's heart prompted him to pursue those created beings and draw them into a very special and unique relationship with him This is amazing. The book of Ephesians uses some metaphors. It has to use metaphors or we'd never grasp any of this. It uses some metaphors that we would be familiar with to reveal more specifically how God's eternal purpose is being played out in human history. I want to mention four of them. And these are are like golden threads all the way through the Bible that tie the story together from Genesis to Revelation. It's beautiful. So what is God up to? What is he doing? Well, he's putting his glory on display so that all will praise him. How? Here's how. Four things God is up to, four things that are in the heart of God, four things that drive him, that get him up in the morning, that motivate everything he does. First, God is forming a family. That's pretty cool, isn't it? From eternity past, God has wanted a family. For himself. Through Christ, God is adopting sons and daughters into his forever family. That's why we find lots of um, sons and daughter language in the Bible. Like, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Sons and daughters of God. God has always wanted a family. He created so that he could have a family. Romans 8.29 says that Christ is the firstborn among many brothers. Family. Galatians 4 puts it like this, but when the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We were born into a, another family. We need to be adopted into God's family. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, means Daddy, Papa. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God's working to form a family. And it's, a, it's an amazingly diverse family. It's a multi-ethnic, multi-colored, multilingual family. You have brothers and sisters in this family all over the globe. Right now, we need to be praying for some of them who are over in Iraq and other places that, who are paying a price for being followers of Jesus Christ, some of them paying with their lives. We need to remember them and pray that God would sustain them with a persevering spirit so that they'll cling to Christ no matter what comes their way. And to always remember that dying is gain because it's being with Christ. God's working to form a family. You know, we're going to get to enjoy eternal existence exploring the Father's creation. I mean, I'm probably going to make a few trips over to the big dog star. Maybe you want to ride with me over there. Check that out. It's going to be amazing. We're going to get to worship our older brother, Jesus, who sacrificed himself in order to make this all happen, to enjoy the unity of the Holy Spirit that he's created. What's God doing, Steve? He's forming a family. And you get to be a part of it. You know what else he's doing? He's preparing a bride. Oh, yes, he is. God is forming a family. He's also preparing a bride for his son. I don't know if you've thought about it like this. You ever heard the church called the Bride of Christ? Through Christ, God is redeeming and sanctifying a people who will be united to a perfect groom in an eternal covenant of marriage. Say, is that in the Bible? Yeah, it's in Ephesians 5. Listen, husbands, love your wives, period, no, comma, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, that means to purify, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that, he, that she might be holy and without blemish. You know what God gets up every day? I'm using that as figurative language, right? Thinking about, I'm preparing a bride for my son. A holy, spotless, splendorous, submissive, captivating, eternal covenant companion. Somehow, in the councils of eternity past, it was determined that the son would have a bride, would have a wife to love, so that he would be not just the beloved, but also the lover. And she would be a wife worthy of deity, deity upon whom he would lavish the excess abundance of his divine love, the bride of Christ. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but do you realize that the Bible opens with a wedding and closes with a wedding? So in Genesis 1 and 2, you have a man and a woman and a wedding and a marriage. And then in Revelation 19 through 21, you have a man and a woman and a wedding and a marriage and everything in between relates to God preparing this bride for his son. Just as God put the first Adam, listen, just as God put the first Adam into a deep sleep, opened up his side, and brought forth a wife for him from his own body, 
So centuries later, the last Adam, the second Adam, would also be put into a deep sleep, and his side would be opened up as well as he was hanging on a cross, and a bride, figuratively speaking, would be brought forth from the blood and the water that flowed from his wound. A wife fashioned for her husband, formed from him, reflecting his image, carrying his DNA, completely devoted to this one who is the very source of her life. Who is this glorious woman? It's the church. The totality of all of those down through the ages whose hearts have been captivated by Jesus, as Charlie Rich once said, the church is the most beautiful girl in the world. Sometimes we're pretty ugly, aren't we? (laughs) Sometimes we need a little facelift. You know what? Paul tells us that every Christian marriage, and we had like three or four weddings this last week, every Christian marriage on the earth is meant to be a reflection of that marriage. A picture of the undying love and covenant devotion between Jesus, the perfect bridegroom, and his lovely bride, the church. This pictures that, not the other way around. That's why I believe that that for every Christian engaged couple, pre-marriage counseling is essential so that you get trained in the biblical understanding of covenant marriage, which is very different from our culture's understanding of marriage. Because God invented marriage. He knows what it was meant to be and what it was meant to picture. Pastor Steve, what is God up to? What is, what is he doing? He's forming a family. He's preparing a bride. Third, he's creating a body. He's fashioning and creating a body. You've heard the church referred to as the body of Christ. Body of Christ. In Christ, God is creating a new living organism on the earth through which to express his life all over the New Testament, it's all over Ephesians. Romans 12 says it this way, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function in our bodies, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of each other. What's God doing? He's creating a body, the body of Christ. What that means is that collectively the people of God are meant to express the very life of God that he's implanted within us through being the hands of Jesus and the feet of Jesus and the voice of Jesus in this world. Now once Jesus was here, right, in body for 33 years, he was in a body here on this planet, and during those three decades, his feet took him to different towns and villages where people were. With his mouth, he preached the good news and spoke the truth according to his father's plan and mission for him. With his own eyes, with Jesus' own eyes, he saw humanity as we really are. And also with those same loving eyes, he looked at people the way that people were meant to be looked at. With his hands, he did good things, didn't he? He created things, he built things, he made things, he touched people, he hugged children, he expressed affection and love with his hands. And then he left. He died and rose from the grave, ascended back into heaven, sent the Holy Spirit. 
And through that spirit, he is creating a new spiritual form of his body on the earth. A new and special people, Jew and Gentile together in the same body, filled with his very life, empowered by the same Holy Spirit that empowered him when he was here on the earth, continuing his mission of reconciling the world to God through the body of Christ. Sometimes we we think as Christians, I'm not that important. I don't have that much to offer. You know, the church doesn't really need me. Yeah, like I don't need my liver, you know, or my lungs, or my tongue, or my big toe. We're all important. We're all members of this multifaceted body of Christ. We all have a function. We are the body of Christ. The old song says it this way, you're the only Jesus some will ever see. The body of Christ, expressing his life on this planet. We are the body of Christ on this earth. Steve, what is God up to? He's forming a family. He's preparing a bride. He's creating a body. The fourth one I'll mention is that he's establishing a kingdom. And we've talked about this. We've taught a whole series on, on the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom. Jesus is a king. Through Christ, God is working to expand, expand his kingly reign over his creation and win more loyal subjects to King Jesus. Oh, how human beings long to be led and ruled over by a truly righteous ruler who will come and usher in the good life. It's in us, isn't it? I mean, in this country, about every four years, we're longing for that. Give us someone who's righteous, right? Integrity, righteous, who will, yes, rule over us, but but bring in the good life for us you know where that comes from god god put that in us and it's only going to be fulfilled when the truly righteous ruler king jesus comes and inaugurates and sets up his kingdom in its fullest manifestation here on this earth we will have a truly righteous ruler and the life you live will be a good life like a really good life (laughs) and we get a glimpse of that now we get a foretaste of that now as we who live under the reign of King Jesus, express his kingdom values to our neighbors here and now. But the kingdom's not fully here yet. It's here, but not fully here. It's already, but not yet. What is God doing? He is building a kingdom. Here's the point I'm trying to get across. Here's my second and last point in this sermon. Our witnessing efforts, our witnessing efforts are greatly enhanced by realizing that we're simply joining God on his mission on the earth. Like he's the evangelist. He's the one who's on mission and he's invited us to join him on his mission. That's different, isn't it? It's like, oh, okay, God is drawing people into his family. God is drawing people into the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. God is winning more loyal subjects to King Jesus and his kingdom, and he's invited me to participate with him in his mission. That's what witnessing is, and when you and I get that, it'll change your view of evangelism, and that's a vision for evangelism that'll sustain you for the rest of your life. You see, we get the privilege of helping facilitate the growth of his family. We get the honor of cooperating in the preparing of his bride. Through sharing the gospel, we get to participate in the enlarging of his body 
on the earth so that his life gets fully expressed. We can rejoice that we've been given a role in extending his kingship over more and more glad and grateful subjects in his kingdom. And what's the end game? What's the end game of all of our witnessing and all of God's activity in drawing people to himself? What's the end game? To the praise of his glory, right? To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has extended to all who are in Christ, so that as many fellow creatures as possible will bow their knee to our Lord Jesus Christ, believe his gospel, and glorify him above everything else with their life and with their lips. That's the end game. See, the call to be a witness is the call to join God in his mission in the world. And that's a vision that will propel you out beyond yourself with a deep concern for the people you live around, work around, go to school with. What an awesome privilege, something that we must take very, very seriously. Here at New Life, we we are. We're, We're seeking to take that call and commission seriously, aren't we? It was about a year ago that um, the elders of this church, so for those of you who are new, that's a team of seven men who are charged with the responsibility of overseeing this church, governing this church. We are an elder-governed church. It was about a year ago that the elders of New Life, after much discussion and prayer, believed that God was leading this church to take the gospel to another community not too far from here, the wonderful community of Whitehall. And as the elders laid that out, we began to plan and pray and discuss and plan and pray more and discuss. How, Jesus, you're the senior pastor of this church. Lead us in this. We don't want to, you know, like rush into this. We want to We don't want to run ahead of you, Jesus. We don't want to lag behind you. We want to keep in step with the Holy Spirit here. And so we began to pray and plan. We knew that we're not the only church. We wouldn't be the only church in Whitehall. There's a lot of good churches there doing great work. We love to partner with them and planting the gospel more deeply in Whitehall. Let me ask, how many of you know somebody who lives in Whitehall? Think about that for a minute. Lots of you, lots of you. How many of you live in or really close to Whitehall? Can I see your hand? Okay. Some? Well, the, as the elders began to process this and pray through it, we realized that uh, we were going to need some money. <laughs> and uh, they felt it important that before we ever go, we, that we have the first year's funds, as best we could estimate, because we haven't done this before, it's new, but as best we could estimate that we have that raised. And last weekend, we surpassed that milestone. That's what that thermometer thing's been all about, that we've been giving towards and seeing that grow. And, and last week, we, we eclipsed the mark. And so we're praising God for that. Amen? I mean, it's like, thank you, Lord. We, you know, we started talking about what can we do to celebrate this milestone? You know, should we, like, throw Pastor Claude in there and upside down and <laughs> see his feet kicking out the top? We thought that wouldn't be very dignified, so, so we're just praising God for that. We, um, we believe that, that God, if God was in this, he was going to be putting a team together of a, a, a campus leadership team, just like we have here at Kahana. We believe that he would put some people, some folks together to lead out in that effort 
at that campus. And so the first member of that team became very obvious very quickly, and that's Pastor Claude himself, who, who by the way, is the very first person to ever attend this church. Back before we even opened up this church, he came to some meetings, and we believe that God has equipped and prepared him for this, to be a pastor of a congregation there in Whitehall, and he's excited about that. But over the last few months, we've seen God then bring some folks around him to join that, that leadership team. And I know we put their names in our worship folder, but th- today we wanted to introduce them to you by face so you'd know who they are. So come on up, you guys. And um, we're very excited about this. We, we believe God is in this, that he's leading us, that this is not us trying to make something happen, but it's the Lord drawing us into the completion of his will. We believe there's people in Whitehall who need Jesus. I mean, it's a wonderful community, and there's, there's a lot of great things going on. There's also a lot of needs in Whitehall, and there's people there who don't know the Lord, some perhaps who don't know hardly anything about Jesus, and they need to know him. And uh, what I know about all these guys is they're about Jesus, and that's what thrills my heart. So I've asked them to come and introduce themselves and also just kind of share with you what thrills their heart about being part of the Whitehall team. So we'll start with Joe. Hi, my name is Joe Dixon. And uh, 10 years ago, in 2004, I gave my life to Jesus, and I became a Christian. And um, a few years later, in 2006, the Dixons became members of uh, New Life Gahanna, and uh, it's been great. And in uh, 2014, we made a commitment to Whitehall, and we're going to be part of the New Life Whitehall team. And recently, I was named as the uh, Director of Operations for Whitehall. And um, even last night, people asked me, what does that mean? And um, the best I can tell you, I've got two duties. One is to do whatever it takes to further the gospel of Jesus Christ in Whitehall. And number two, other duties as assigned. (coughs) (laughs) And as funny as that might sound, that's the truth of how I view this job. This is what we're here to do. And I am super excited to be part of this team, Uh, not just the families represented up here, but the families that have made a commitment to Whitehall. I am so excited to be part of this team to uh, do what, what we can to make Jesus Christ as famous as possible in Whitehall for his glory. And I thank you guys for your support. Well, my name is Steve Reed, and how's everybody doing today? (laughs) Good, good. Well, um, my job is going to be, I've been asked to be the leader of the worship ministry in Whitehall. And um, my wife Brenda and I, we uh, attended, uh, started membership here at uh, New Life about two years ago. Um, And, uh, you know, my... uh, we lead a small group in, in uh, Whitehall. We live in Whitehall, and it's a great time. We just have such a, a, a wonderful group of people that come on a regular basis. And, um, you know, uh, I'm on the worship team here. You might have seen me play guitar or sing. And, um, uh, you know, my story is this. When uh, I was 28 years old, I became a Christian. I had been an atheist for about 12 years before that. And, uh, you know, there's a whole story in that in itself. But... Um, you know, I want to hear stories like that because we've, we've made a deliberate effort to go to Whitehall, talk to people about Jesus, and they said, you know, I used to be a non-believer too, and now I believe in Jesus because of the ministry that, that God is doing, and we get to be a part of that too, and I'm real excited about that. Uh, I just, I love to talk to people about Jesus, and I love to see people get open to uh, what Jesus is doing in their life. I hope you get excited about it too. Maybe some of you would, would say, you know what, God is speaking to me about praying about this, about maybe joining us. So, here you go.
My name is Dave Yurkovich, and I am going to be the Children's Ministry Director in Whitehall. Uh, currently, I serve as the uh, elementary coordinator here at New Life. Um, almost to the weekend, I've been coming here for eight years. Uh, started coming here due to my wife, Angela. We, we were dating at the time, and now we have five girls. So please pray for me. Thank you. And. Uh, <laughs> And, um, but about five years ago, I was sitting in the back. Angela and I would always sit in the back row in the back. And uh, Steve was preaching, and he mentioned Mark 10, 45. And in that verse, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and he says, I didn't come here to be served. I came here to serve. And I, the Holy Spirit talked to me at that point and said, it's time for you to serve. And I'm in children's ministry. And it's been great. And um I have a story for you that I heard this morning. Um, when I preach in the back, um, the two things I make sure that always happens before I leave is that every child has a Bible in their house and that they know what the gospel is and what our job is and to spread it. And so one of the girls came running up to me and said, Mr. Dave, I have a story. I can't wait to tell you. She was at a sleepover Friday night in Whitehall, and she talked about the gospel. And two girls said that they had never been to church before and don't have a place to go. So I'm like, our children, your children, here at New Life Kahana, are teaching the gospel. I can't think of a better thing to do for me than to go serve in Whitehall and keep that train rolling so our children know the gospel, love the gospel, and do the Great Commission, which is go, baptize, and teach. We're going to make sure that we take care of those things in Whitehall. Well, as you can see, these are guys who love Jesus. And first and foremost, whatever their titles may be, we've already talked about the fact that job one is to share the gospel. We're there to tell people about Jesus. Someone asked me the other day, uh, you know, Claude, why, why Whitehall? And I said, well, why not Whitehall? <laughs> but the reality is that, um, you know, Steve said Whitehall is about 15 minutes away. You know, five miles from where we're at right now in this building is the city offices of Whitehall. Whitehall is just five miles down the road. And it's a community that uh, has a lot of brokenness, a lot of addiction, a lot of single-parent homes, a lot of struggle. Probably uh, statistically, uh, the stats are 16,000 or so folks don't know Jesus Christ, not connected to church in any way. There's lots of, there's various churches in the community, but we know that God is calling us to go and spread the gospel in Whitehall. And just like Steve was talking today, that's why we're here, right? I mean, he saves us not to sit back and put our feet up on the coffee table, because the best place for me to do that is in heaven. Why does why he keep us here? He keeps us here to spread the gospel to others, and that's what we're going to do. That's what these guys are committed to. That's what the families that are committed to go to Whitehall we're committing to do is to spread the gospel. I thank God for New Life Church. I thank God for what he's doing in this body, and I praise God for what he's going to do in Whitehall. And so uh, right now we want to kind of wrap up this, section, this time with just praying for Whitehall. And speaking of prayer, Steve's going to mention it to you, but right outside on the table out there is a sign-up for our prayer walk next week. We want to pray for every house in Whitehall. You need to sign up and come pray with us. 11 o'clock next Saturday morning, you'll be an hour out of your day. 
you can have a major impact in the community by praying for people that don't know Jesus. So let me encourage you to do that. What I'd like to do is let's all just raise your, raise your hand and point your hand toward Whitehall. Whitehall is in that direction, directly due south. And we're going to just pray for that community right now. Jesus, we just thank you, Lord, for all that you are and all that you do. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you, Lord, that uh, it's you who died on the cross for us. It's you who rose from the dead. It's you who made the way that we could know you personally, be a part of your family. God, right now we know that uh, in the community of Whitehall, this morning, right now, there are thousands and thousands of people that do not know your love, do not know you, do not have the joy that we in this room have right now. And God, you're calling this church to sow seeds of the gospel in that community. I pray, Lord, that you would plow the field, get the field ready, so that when we move in there with, with the word, God, we reap a great harvest through your spirit. Lord, you know the issue that we're having with finding a building. Well, God, it's your problem to figure that out. And so we're just asking you right now to do what it is you're going to do. We're going to do what we know to do and trust you that you're going to bring about the results. You're going to, you have the place. You know where we're going to be. And so we just give that to you. God, I thank you for the people of this church who are committing to go to Whitehall and be a part of that congregation. Lord, I thank you for the people of this church who are giving to support that mission. I thank you for the people of this church, Lord, who are praying for the people in Whitehall. God, may you be glorified. May you create a bride, prepare a bride in that community. Lord, build your body. Create a family, Lord. May you rule in, as King Jesus in Whitehall. And it's in your holy, precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I'll let you guys be seated. And um, that really is our big prayer request right now is a place to worship, a space there. And we've got five or six things we're looking at. Uh, when we meet for prayer on Saturday, we're meeting at, uh, at the parking lot of 441 South Yearling Road, which is a church that's been vacant, a church building that's been vacant for several years. A Christian ministry recently swooped in and bought it, and uh, they graciously agreed to let us meet there. And uh, you come, you'll get some instructions, we'll give you a little card on how to pray for the community of Whitehall and pair you up with one or two others, and we'll blanket that community with prayer. That's one of the things the elders felt like before we ever go. We need to blanket that community with our prayers, push back the darkness, and prepare the way for the gospel seed to be planted. So I hope you'll participate in that. You need to, to sign up so we know you're coming. We know about how many to expect. But we're hoping for a couple hundred new lifers to be involved in that, okay? So God's up to some great things. Well, listen, um, we're going to stand right now. Stand with me. We're going to worship the Lord. Our prayer partners are going to be here ready to pray with you. i got two challenges for you. One is, what are you full of? Seriously, what are you full of? Because whatever you're full of is leaking out. Maybe like me, you need to make some adjustments in your input so that when people cut you, you're bleeding Jesus. And secondly, maybe you've listened to me this morning and you're not in the family of Christ yet. You feel like I'm on the outside of that. And you'd like to know more about what it means to become part of the body of Christ or the bride of Christ or get in the kingdom of God. Come and talk to one of these prayer partners. They'd be glad to explain how you can be a part of that, okay? You don't want to miss out on that. 
So let's worship the Lord together. Let's pray for one another. And then we've got some baptisms in a few moments as well.